We're about to kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, brought to you by the fine folks over at, where else? Geekinthecity.com. If you enjoy this show, and I think you do, the best way to help us out is just spread the word. Uh, tell everybody that you enjoy listening to Geek in the City Radio on whatever social media platform you use, as well as giving us a five-star review on sites like iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or iHeartRadio. Those reviews go much farther than you would ever imagine in helping us climb the metrics, which uh, just gets us more listeners, which just makes us a bigger and more nerdier family for everyone to enjoy, which we're going to do right now with an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Welcome to issue 588 of Geek in the City Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. And I'm your other other host, Kay Wajitani. <laughs> What's shaking, Bean? Oh, nothing much, Aaron. Guys, how you doing? <laughs> Hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and this is the reason why Denise kills us. Yeah. She can't kill us if she's not here. <laughs> this is true. This is true. No, uh, she has started a, a new position, and she will be a little bit later today, later on the show today. Um, hopefully that, hopefully we don't have to change the time of the show again. <laughs> but who knows? Yeah, I mean, I'm totally open for it to do that if need be. The, oh, yeah. the two no, of you fine. have been nothing but accommodating to my schedule when everything went sideways, so I very right. much appreciate it, so... We'll figure stuff out. It's fine. It's good. Um, but yeah, before folks, before we tarted, uh, fired it up here, Cable and I were talking about how it sucks that um, this this season of Kim's Convenience currently airing in Canada, so I guess it's going to hit Netflix pretty soon, season yep. five, uh, is going to be the last season. Um, the uh, announcement came, what, yesterday? I think. Yeah. At least that's where I saw everything on Twitter. The uh, the two of the lead writers and showrunners of the show have taken on another project and were planning on leaving. And therefore the producer, the executive producer of the show looked at it and went, I don't think we can actually do this without them. Yeah, which I respect Yeah, and not have it continue to be the quality of show that it is. Um, it's not to say that the actors involved weren't interested in, I'm sorry, I still have my stereo on. Um, Oops. Like they would still be able to play their characters and be authentic, but you have to have all those uh, components. You have to yeah. have the writers, you have to have the producers and, and as well as the actors. So. Right. And all the actors really seem to take it in stride. I mean, that's just, 
You know what? They they weren't canceled for bullshit shenanigans. It was, nope. uh, you know what? The creators are leaving. They're kind of the, the, you know, they're the soul of the writer's room. And if we try to continue on, I'm sure they would do good, but there'd be no denying it. There would be something off. I I would say that if, if anything, I would like to see a two hour Kim's convenience movie. Yeah. Um, sometime next year. With, could... Like even if it's two years off, just yeah. a way to let them wrap up some of the storylines. Uh, I think Simu Lu was the most, like he was sad about it. He also, like he understood the creative reasons why, but one of the things that he personally felt upset about was that he and Paul Sung Hyung Lee's character, there was never going to be that resolution of bringing them back together. Right. Bringing yeah. Appa and Jung back together. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's going to hurt. Yeah, that's going to suck. Especially if season five ends with a... Um, apparently they've said the season five ender also will work as a series finale. It's not mm-hmm. like it's going to end like a fucking cliffhanger. That's good. Um, but yeah, I felt like they were eventually going to lead to their reconciliation. And I don't know, I could see Netflix talking to... Canadian broadcasting and the creators and being like, look, they're all going to go off and do their own thing for a while. We get that. But maybe in the back burner, we'll host the movie. Yeah. You know, and even if enough time passes where they have to say like, you know, the movie starts with like the last scene from the series finale. And if you throw up a title card that says like five years later, Mm Mm-hmm. That way, if characters who probably might have gotten married, you can have them married now. You don't have to, you know, you can kind of just jump. Like, don't have anybody die off camera. That's bullshit. Yeah, no. Don't do that. But, you know, um, I think there could be something there to that for sure. Yep, I do. Um, And uh, I think that that would be an honorable way to kind of still uh, speak to the fans and and answer questions for the cast that that they wanted to do. I, I do think that this also means, dear dear Disney, dear uh, John Favreau, <laughs> Paul Sun uh, Sun Hyung Lee is now available for your Star Wars needs. That is true. And since hire, please hire him. Since they have it canceled, Rangers of the New Republic, but clearly there will be no Cara Dune in it unless they recast her. Um, which I'm actually fine with. That's fine. That show should be 100% Carson Tiva. Captain Carson Tiva. I want to see him. Yeah. Well, I like what they hinted with that character, especially towards the end of Mando, Mandalorian Season 2 when they had mm-hmm. him a little bit more at the end. I get the impression that, A, he's clearly like, a, like in my brain, he probably enlisted during the Clone Wars as like a teen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could totally see him being an army of the army of the Republic. Um, bounces the moment the Empire forms, like, well, this isn't right either. Mm-hmm. So he's he's clearly a vet. You know, he's an old school pilot. I like the idea that. I mean, you kind of got hints that this is what happened to Leia in the Force Awakens. He's this guy that's like 
there's stuff still out there that's dangerous. And they're like, would you shut up? Like the war's over. You know what? You're going to go patrol the outer rim. All right, I'm going to do my duty because I love the Republic, the new Republic. Mm-hmm. He starts to say, he's like, there's something going on out here and no one's listening to us. That's your show right there, yep. you know. And uh, he'd be great at it. Yeah. Oh, man, he would be so good. He already has the costumes. <laughs> that he does. Uh, you could also put him in Ghostbusters. He has those costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has three different Trek uniforms for each division. <laughs> That dude is a hardcore nerd. I love it. I'd love to meet him one day. Well, you know, I'm going to keep reaching out. Maybe one day he will, he will reply and we can, we can do a zoom. That would be be fantastic. That'd be great. Like I still want to get him and Andrew Fung on the show. Solid. Oh yeah. Like, because I know how deep and nerdy their conversations, especially around Trek will go. So. Yeah. So, um, dear listeners, if you have any influence, please yeah, let them know. <laughs> we, we, we want them. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Um, so we're eventually, we're going to do our WandaVision series finale, but I want to wait for Denise for that. Oh, so yeah. Hopefully she's able to pop in for that. Um, I saw Coming to America last week. Coming to America. Oh, good last week um so my little quick thoughts on that um it's fun it's incredibly charming it's everything if they were going to make a sequel to coming to america it's everything you kind of want it to be like that's impressive yeah a lot of kind of the the similar gags um the through line now is that you know um eddie murphy's character akim is no longer like the person who wants to break with tradition to follow his heart, which he did in the first movie. Mm-hmm. He's kind of fallen into, he's like, now he's king now. He's feeling the weight of decades of tradition being hoisted upon him. And he's like, I can't do it. Like I can't, you know, a king must do these things, you know, cause he needs to have a, the whole shtick, you know, and it plays into the issues with patriarchal societies is that a woman cannot lead Zumunda and he's got three daughters. Mm-hmm. So, and then he finds out that he has a kid back in America from, from a, from a one night when he was, it's questionable. It's one night when you find out in a flashback that Arsenio Hall's character uh, basically got him super stoned and he hooked up with Leslie Jones. <laughs> eh, okay. He wasn't completely in control of his faculties, but they brush over that pretty fast. But um, the movie is pretty great. Every time you stop for a moment and think, well, that doesn't make sense. Boom. They hit you with like another nostalgia joke. Like it's just one giant nostalgia bath that if you, if you weren't a big fan of the first one and remember characters, this one's not going to land for you at all. It's going to be funny, but it's not going to, it's not going to, I mean the fucking, the Duke brothers have a cameo. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. uh, Kind of. Cause both okay. the performers are dead, but they do have a cameo. Uh, which is always fun to remind people that Trading Places is in the same universe as Coming mm-hmm. to America. Um, <laughs> I know that I saw, I I must have seen that at least probably a dozen times when I was a kid. So it's like yeah. I don't remember it super well, but I remember it well enough that yeah. when as soon as they like started showing announcements for it on Amazon Prime, I'm like. Yeah, okay. I think I'm into this. 
it's fun. I mean, I mean, even I mean, James Earl Jones is in it for a little bit because you see mm-hmm. him in the trailer. You must have a son or whatever. And the concept of this one is that James Earl Jones, his time is short. He knows he's dying. He's old, but he's there's an, and the scene's just fantastic where he's like, "I wanted to be a grand funeral." It's will father. I promise. He's like, and I want to be there for it. So we're doing it tomorrow. <laughs> and like Morgan Freeman is the MC of King Akeem's funeral. Is he just he's playing like, Morgan Freeman? Yeah. He's like in the beginning, that was nothing. And like, it's a whole, they do like a Lion King riff and everything. <laughs> he's like, and then his greatness bore out and Vogue and fucking en Vogue comes out. What a king, what a king, what a mighty good king. Oh, it's so good. And then Salt and Pepper follows him out. It's like, yeah, the musical bits in it are amazing. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, there's a part, I won't say what, there's, they sing a Prince song. And not the Prince song you expect. And when it starts, you're like, what the fuck? Uh, And I just looked up the soundtrack. The The entire performance there is on the soundtrack. Oh, good. Um, I don't want to know too much more. Yeah. But everyone's back. Everyone who is alive is back. Good. In the show. Yeah. Every character, all of them. Sexual chocolate, all of them. Yeah. Like, I've seen a lot of these things in the the trailer. So it's like, these aren't too terribly surprising. Yeah. Um, There's the addition of Wesley Snipes. It's going to be fun. Who does steal the show... And then you just you just try not to remember part of his past. You know, not the tax evasion part, the part where he hit Halle Berry so hard she only has like 30% hearing in one ear. Mm, I didn't know about that. Yeah, I had totally forgotten about it too. And I'm like, just, you know, loving every scene he's in because he's, he's fantastic in it. And I remember thinking like, didn't he do something else? That was really awful, and then it started popping up. I was like, "Oh yeah, right, that's it." Yeah. Um, so, if people choose not to see it for that reason, I totally respect that. I know, but it. Fair. So yeah, any more that kind of that kind of goes, oh, you know, into into deeper discussions, I guess. Of... Well, I'm I'm hoping that next week we can talk a little bit about uh, Ryan the Last Dragon. Too. Yeah, I do want to see that. I don't know if I want to pay extra for it, but I, I have to. I, I, I already have. It's like, nope. Here's my money. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I did it with Mulan, so I, I would, I probably will do it for this because it looks amazing. I, I was actually having this conversation with uh, a coworker today because I get the the thing that makes me less um, hesitant to go, oh, gee, that's a lot of money for a movie, is I, I'm i still trying to um, live within a bubble because of COVID. Um, and I respect that this is a format that where we can still get new media. So yeah, it's $30. That is more than I would spend on a movie ticket, um, popcorn and a drink. If right. I were going to the movie by myself, by yourself, um, it's at, it's comparable to what we would pay for two people. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I see the other people, like 
you think about who this is targeted at, it's Disney. It's immediately targeted at families. $30 for a brand new movie for you and your family is a goddamn bargain yeah. for a family of four. Yeah, no, and I, I um, when I listened yeah. to, the, yeah, when I listened to Fat Men Beyond, they, they were having this conversation around Mulan. Mm-hmm. And Mark was, and Mark Bernard's take, he's like, yeah, it's an extra 30 bucks. He's like, hey, we live in LA, so I can't even go to the movies by myself for $30 if I don't want, if I, if I just want to bring my own water. But his attitude was like, but you know what? When Mulan came up, he's like, we have all been stuck inside for six months. He's like, if you have children, they are driving you insane. You can't watch Frozen 2 anymore. Mm-hmm. He's like, but you know what? A family of four, <laughs> drop 30 bucks. There's a new Disney movie your kids can watch and can leave you alone for a little while. And you know what? It also happens to be pretty damn good. And you get to see it, what is it, three to six months before they just make it available yeah. on their service. I think it's three months, but yeah. Even that. But like, then you get to be the cool kids that get to see it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm aware that people are going to pirate it. Yes, I, I I realize that this is still a broken system altogether and there are other things that have to get fixed so that, you know. Yeah. But I also know that I am saying by going, here is money for this thing. Please make more of it. That's exactly what that says. Um, I have seen one still of the credits, which points out that it was entirely made at home. Yes. Yeah. All of the um, animators worked from home. So did the voice. Uh, Kelly Marie Tran, one of the videos, she talked about how like her neighbors must have thought that either she was having a nervous breakdown or it was being murdered almost daily. She's like, because they, they came into my house and they built me a recording studio, like a sound, like basically they took one of her closets and went, all right, we're padding it up. Here's where you're going to do your voice work. Um, and yeah, she's like every day I've got neighbors above me, neighbors below me. Cause she lives in an apartment building in LA. And she's like, every day I'm going like, ah! she's like, I'm screaming, I'm grunting. Cause I get punched a lot and I do punching a lot and I cry and I scream and I yell. <laughs> she's like, she's like, I feel like my, cause she mentioned her. She's like, I feel like my boyfriend was always having to apologize. Like she's, it's, that's a fight day. We're sorry. <laughs> so it, yeah. Making a whole movie at home. That's, That's crazy. Right? It, that is no small feat. Absolutely Mm-mm. no small feat. No. Um, and I'm like, they had me already at, okay, it's, uh, it's a fantasy movie based on Southeast Asian cultures. Cool. I'm, right. I'm in. As soon as it was, oh, it stars uh, KMT and Aquafina, like, Oh, well, that was that. There's my money. There you go. Yeah. Done. I, uh, I read a review of it. Um, I forgot who the, the person was. They're a Chinese American film critic and writer. Mm-hmm. The first thing they said was, boy, was it great to see an Asian influence movie and no one brought up the word honor fucking once. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh you know, I never thought, I've never fucking thought about that ever. Yep. And then as soon as I read it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that does happen every single time. Yep. Yep. I'm sure there's uh, an equivalent for um, 
any pop culture entertainment uh, centered in Mexico. Yeah. And I'm sure the moment it's pointed out to me, like, you know what? That is in everything. Yes. You know, uh, Bex in the chat said it costs them an extra 20 bucks. Uh, but she has two kids plus her husband and whatnot, but they have watched it six times and it is well worth it. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. A late Asian Twitter would not shut up about <laughs> how great it was right. over the weekend. It's like, I, I mostly just had the skim. It's like, I don't want to see anything, but like, it, it was fantastic, and uh, Kelly Marie Tran was did nothing, did like this self tiny selfie tour where she, every time she saw a bus stop with her <laughs> had a, a Raya ad on it, she would stop and take a selfie with it and posted those on Twitter. That's cool. It's fucking fantastic, and yeah. everyone lost their mind over her red carpet outfit which is a a traditional Vietnamese-style dress and headdress. And I saw so many tweets and retweets of Vietnamese-American women going, I have never thought of myself as beautiful and do now because of this. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah. It's really great. Um, Well, I'm glad we always liked her. I do too. Um, <laughs> I'm glad she's back. Yeah, uh, that's pretty good. I do want to read the entirety of the Vanity Fair article that she interview that she did uh, because I, it's really I, good. I do understand that that while it is not, um, it is not explicitly or, or overtly stated or officially stated, but that this is unofficially the first gay Disney princess. Yeah. Yeah, they're not really trying to hide from it at all. Wait, there's no... I'm sorry, I'm reading Bex's comment. There's no singing in this. No, there's not. Fascinating. All right, cool. Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna miss that. It's not that I dislike the singing. I like singing in movies. I'm I'm good with musicals, but that's that's good to know. Thank you. Yeah, every once in a while it's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the official, like not the small ones, but like the eight inch dolls they made for it. Mm-hmm. They have one of, you know, they have one of Kira and then they have one of, um, I fr- or of Raya and then the drag, I forget the dragon's name, but they basically have the Aquafina and human form figure. Mm-hmm. It's a cool looking figure. I almost, I almost bought it. I was like, that's just a cool looking figure. Like the Aquafina <laughs> figure looks really fucking cool. Yeah. And that's like what the first of like eighty movies Aquafina's in this year. Yes, she's in so many movies this year. What was it? I finally got around to watching um, Ocean's Eight a couple weeks back. Yeah, and it's like oh, I completely forgot she was in that too. And it's like I, she was nowhere on my radar, and then suddenly she was in everything. And every time I've watched the movie with her, it's like, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. I think the um, first movie that I saw her in was Crazy Rich Asians. It's the first one I remember her seeing her in, yeah. Uh, speaking of Ocean's 8, I was kind of, Spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Ocean's 8, but it's been out long enough. Mm-hmm. I was really hoping at the end when Sandra Bullock is in front of Danny Ocean's grave, basically, mm-hmm. where she's like, you better be in there. 
like sipping the martini. I really wanted him to round the corner and it would be like, really? Did you really think it would be that easy? And then boom, go to credits because Ocean's 8 didn't do well enough. So I don't think it's going to happen. But I wanted to combine them all, mm-hmm. which would have been Ocean's 21. That would have been on. good. That would have been great. Come on. Also, also that's a lot of actors for one movie, though. And to be fair, all of all of the people that were in the both of both of those series of movies or that entire series of movies, they have enough money and clout that if they want to produce it, they will. Yeah. Regardless of how any of them did in the theater. That's um, true. Although it would be hard to have an Oceans movie uh, without Bernie Mac. Mm. That would be that would be rough. Enough said. It's been a while since I've watched the the uh, the Ocean's Eleven, 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 Twelve, and Thirteen. Right? Yeah, you can skip twelve. Hey, I don't know that I've seen thirteen. I know I've seen twelve because they they did uh, they ran wild with the Julia Roberts joke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 13's good. I actually like 13 the most. Because hmm. 13, 13 is very self-aware, which is fun. Ocean's 13 feels like a movie like what you just said. They all got together one day and said, these are kind of fucking fun to do. Do you want to just do one? I'm like, all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to get Pacino this time? Sure, why not? <laughs> is he available? He'll make himself available. He will, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I really enjoyed Ocean's 8. Um, mm-hmm. And it's annoying that I know the only reason it didn't do well in the box office is because it's all women. Yeah, and the other thing that hurt it's Ocean's 8 dumb. in terms of story for me, I don't know if this is what the original story always had in it or if they're like, you know what, we need to have a, a dude with some kind of subplot was hmm. um, the entire story, the, the entire fucking plot with, um, oh my God, what's his name? He's the talk show host that I just can't stand because he's actually an awful human Corden. being. Yeah. Rob, yeah. James Corden. James Corden, right. Not I, Rob Corden. Yeah, the moment his little story thread starts, I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is dumb. Hmm. Great. The idea of like a certain cop being obsessed with the ocean family because they keep getting away with it. Fine. But I I don't know. It just doesn't work. He didn't work. That whole plot did not work like at all. And it hampered the movie for me. I understood why they did it. Like I, I don't have a problem with James Corden, I guess. Um, I do. (laughs) <laughs> and and I saw it as like no you can't just have the heist you have to have the and we we didn't just successfully get away with the heist we have to completely get away with it we also have to outsmart the cops yeah but that, I don't know that's, that's that extra element of yeah. it, it normally though you have that interspersed with the actual heist like the cops are somehow wise to something's going on but they, so they're always playing cat and mouse during. Right. This was a, you completed the whole heist and then you added the, that element. It just, 
I think that's what felt weird to me is they were separated like an egg and an egg white. Okay. Yeah. You know what? That I can, that I can, that, yes, that makes a lot of sense then for Where me. Normally why those, it bugs me. Yeah. Normally those two, two storylines overlap. Right. Huh. I hadn't thought about that before, but yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I love that Shabo Quinn had a small role in Ocean's 8 as Yen. Because <laughs> Yen always has, I mean, Yen, I've just, first off, I love that Yen only speaks Chinese and they all understand him and he understands English. Mm-hmm. It's just the best little bit, like, ever. Uh, um, yeah. The admission I, I, that, like, the bullet train was CGI and they're like, you did it in front of all of China. And he's like, you know, and he's like, that was CGI. He's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that and uh, when they're like, well, I guess we can't do it. You know, I guess that means Ruben's gonna. Oh, this is the thirteen. They're like, I guess Ruben's gonna die. Yeah, I guess maybe hospice care. Maybe he'll make it to Christmas. Like I don't know. And his character goes, shit, 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 shit. <laughs> He's so good. And then <laughs> the best plot point in thirteen is his gimmick. Is he supposed to be a high roller from uh, Shanghai? Mm-hmm. And the, what's her name? The, um, she, Matt Damon's his valet and her, uh, Ellen Barson's character is like, um, his name doesn't come up in any of our usual databases. And that day was like, and he likes to keep it that way. Mr. Yen likes to keep it that way. What kind of real estate does he do? He's like, he owns all the air in Shanghai. She's like, the air? He's like, put it to me this way. You try to build a building over three stories tall anywhere in the Hunan province, see if his name comes up. <laughs> and part of me is like, why do I see that happening one day? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like there, there is a certain amount of validity to uh, that. Yeah. Or not validity, but um, I could know, see it. Plausibility. Happening. Plausibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going to run out of land. But you're not going to, you know. There's always the air up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, how else do we kill time here? I don't Because I feel like the only thing we have left is WandaVision, and I'd feel really bad. If we started with that, yeah. I know. Mm. Hmm. Any good jokes? I don't. I don't. I, I am getting... I'm excited in two weeks at least. Or, no, it'll be next week. Next Friday will be uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, which that's I have, be cool. I have actively made sure that I. There are four things that I know about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and that is it contains the Falcon, the Winter Soldier, yes, Baron Zemo, and Agent Thirteen, and that is all I know. That's all I know. Not only Baron Zemo, Baron Zemo. In with the, the mask. With the mask, that fucking yeah. purple hood. Yep. Uh, and then, is it in May that Hulu's getting the Modoc show? I believe so. Oh my god. I totally forgot that show was happening and that Patton Oswalt was the voice of Modoc. I did too. Totally forgot. That's going to be great. Yeah. Modoc. <laughs> Such a weird uh, character. Someone. Uh, Bex uh, was asking, did we watch Superman and Lois? I I know I'm caught up. Are you caught up? Uh, nah, I've only seen the pilot, so. Now, I'll get to it. Uh, Norm I, has a suggestion, too, so. 
Okay, let's go. Oh, what, what's your suggestion, Norm? Let us know, Norm. And yes, Sack, everyone has toilet paper. <laughs> yep, that's the only difference between this year and last year is. Oh, yeah, that's it. We're still stuck in door. Yeah. But we have toilet paper. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're fine. So. Um, Let's see. I will say this about uh, uh, Superman and Lois. It's it's definitely the uh, a show I was I really wanted in in my lineup of CW DC superhero shows. It's yeah, so mm. good, so good. Yeah, I'm gonna check it out. What's this? I'll catch up. Ooh, what do you say? If you want. And or looking for an anime style show, the guys from Rooster Teeth made a show with a made a show with great voice cast. It's called Genlock. Okay, Rooster Teeth. Why do I know Rooster Teeth? Uh, I don't remember, but I rec- I remember that name too. Hmm. Oh yeah, voice cast: David Tennant, Dakota Fanning, uh, Macy Williams, Gray Haddock. See if there's more there. Okay. David Tennant. Oh, Asia Kate Dillon. I love them. They're amazing. I've been pulled into another Star Trek game where we were TOS era and we were encouraged to base our characters on any, I know, on any known celebrities now. So I am, yeah, I am playing in an Orion Doctor and they are based on Asia Kate Dillon. So that'll be fun. Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan's in it too? Mm-hmm. Maisie Damn. Williams. Come on, I'm not seeing Michael B. Jordan on the cast. That's weird. Where are you looking? IMDB. Me too. That's fucking weird. Yeah, maybe I'll check it out. Let's see. Sherry Belafonte. Nice. I did watch um the anime uh uh Pacific Rim on Netflix. I watched a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. It's not hooking me. It's a Pacific Rim Black. Is that what mm-hmm. it's called? Yeah. I'm just convinced you can't do that without Guillermo del Toro because I haven't liked any of them except the first one. I've only seen the first one. I still haven't seen the second one. I like it a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, cocaine Bear. I, I don't know. Did you see this, um, Aaron? No. Elizabeth Banks is apparently directing some movie called Cocaine Bear <laughs> based on a real story. I saw Ben Dewey tweet this or retweet this. He's like, this isn't real. This can't be real. Yeah. I'm going to be really disappointed if this is not real. It is. Yeah. He, I mean, he died. After eating, I think it was like $15 million worth of cocaine. Okay. okay. Yeah, no, it's... No, I would rather they make a movie out of the... I think it was the great, like, cocaine robbery in Canada. <laughs> so I think it happened in, like, the 80s. Mm-hmm. So an entire, like, trailer, like, semi-trailer full of cocaine got stolen. Like someone jacked the car, jacked the thing. And it was like a big, like it was the biggest crime in that, in that area of Canada. Mm-hmm. Oh no, someone took the Kokanee. I think it was either Kokanee or Labatt's Blue. I don't remember which one it was. Oh, that or Moosehead. Like, oh, it, it, 
It seems 100% that it was Colkeny. Yeah. So it was like, every time I read it, I'm like, this is a Coen, this is a fucking Coen Brothers movie. So like, they, they couldn't catch him at first. They didn't know where they went. And they eventually, like they found, the only way they started to catch the people who stole it is that they found like a bear that was drunk because the bear had apparently attacked some of the people while they were unloading it. So they were finding this drunk bear. So they follow the tracks back and they see a bunch of busted whatever, coconut or whatever. Yeah, this drunk bear is what ends up blowing the case wide open so that the Mounties can catch the people that stole the beer, eh? <laughs> yeah, that's a Coen Brothers film waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they'll probably throw someone at a wood chipper, but, you know, gotta have a wood chipper. I mean... Not all of the movies they've done had wood chippers. I know. Just the one. I think. <laughs> Just the one. Just right? the one, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's got to have uh, John Goodman, though. Oh, it has to. Yeah. yeah. There's a, a lot of random beer crime in Canada. <laughs> I mean, it's Canada. Yeah. So there's a lot of beer <laughs> and there's a, a certain amount of um, hijinks that go on. That's true. Not actual crimes, not misdemeanors, just hijinks. Hijinks and shenanigans. Mm, definitely shenanigans. <laughs> now I'm just looking at random like beer thefts in Canada and they're all hilarious. Nearly 20,000 cases of beer stolen with pepperoni and jerky in Quebec. The goods were then sold for half a million dollars Canadian. Uh, of course it's in Quebec. The trucks were later found empty in Montreal. Police alleged that thieves were a had approached businesses to sell their loot. You don't say. You could do an entire series on Canadian beer theft. Oh, that's a fine how do you do. There's so many of them. East Coast trucker sentenced. This might be the one. The Moosehead Beer. Bound for Mexico. Look at that. That's a fucking title in itself. The Moosehead Beer. Bound for Mexico. That That is the title. Is Moosehead popular in Mexico? Why would they be? Why? I don't know. Because it's just a lager too. Mexico has good lagers. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay, so this was Moosehead that was being made for Mexico because the labels were in Spanish. Okay. <laughs> That's their fancy yeah. foreign beers. Dude. Now I'm just imagining people in Mexico with really trying to do really bad Canadian accents, pretending to be Canadians. Like Mexicans, like in the streets of Mexico City, like wearing toques. I'm playing hockey. Like, oh my God, this writes itself. I want this movie so bad. Write it. I know, I should. You should. I don't know what it would be about. <laughs> as long as it's about 90 minutes long, that's all you need. Ah! <laughs> huh. This seems like a perfectly good spot to take a quick break and thank our sponsors. First up, of course, we have got Bridge City Comics, 3527 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. They are one of Portland's best comic book shops, and I do believe just won the parent's choice for the best comic book store for kids and your family. So that's pretty cool. Uh, go to the number one comic book store for kids. 
but you don't have just kid stuff there because comics are for everyone regardless of age. And if you are still feeling the need for more Wanda and Vision in your life, there are plenty of comic stories that not only inspired the Disney Plus series, um, but will help you move beyond it. And yeah, there's just, there's a lot of great stories that you can pick up right now at Bridge City Comics. Um, I believe most of them are, of course, still in print. I think Marvel finally wised up and put out reprints of House of M. Um, you can also check out the Vision miniseries. Anyway, what I'm saying is that if you need more Scarlet Witch and the Vision in your life, Bridge City Comics is the place to get them at. Did I mess up their address? 3725. Oh, my God. Look, they're the only comic book store on North Mississippi Avenue. All right? That's easy. <laughs> 3725 North Mississippi Avenue. And when you're in there, thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio, even when I screw up their address. Uh, unlike the way I screw up Guardian Games, our other sponsor. I don't screw there up because it goes in order. It's 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. See, that's easy for me to remember. 345. Southeast Taylor Street. Uh, they will have all of your gaming needs in there. Uh, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago they launched a loyalty program, which is really cool. You basically earn a point for every dollar you spend in Guardian Games. The only time they email you is when you get that initial confirmation email saying, hey, thanks for joining our loyalty club. And then, like, that's it. Um, it's pretty cool. I mean, you're already buying a lot of games and, and miniatures and cards and dice and, and puzzles and painting mini supplies you might as well get a little get a little love back for it um and guardian games will have every single thing you want to support your your nerdy hobby and uh, help you tell your stories your own way so when you're in there give them a big old thanks for being the longest sponsor of geek in the city they have been there since the beginning and uh, tell them you really appreciate that because it helps out it helps them it helps us we like to keep all of our advertising within the local community that's why you don't hear ads for, like, mattresses or, you know, body-shaving things, which is fine, but, you know, we like to keep it local here on Geek in the City Radio. And then before we get back to it, a big shout-out to Rev Nat, uh, Reverend Nat's Hard Cider for supplying us with the supplies we need to make sure the show sounds really nice, even though we're all recording in different areas of the city. So a big thanks to Rev Nat of Reverend Nat's Hard Cider for helping us out there. And with that, let's get back to the show. That's really weird. I I think we might have to start without Bean. Yeah. Because otherwise we're not going to cover everything. Or do we, well, we can't wait till next week because we have a really fun guest that I want to have a lot of time on next week. Yeah, we're going to need the time. Because mm-hmm. um, that's going to be fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, then, uh, let's talk about the last episode of WandaVision. It's episode eight, I believe, right? Was no, it's episode nine. 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 There were nine episodes. Yes. Which I think is important to remember because the first three, middle three, and last three all sync together as Oh, that's right. Yeah. Their own arcs. Which is something so, I thought about <clears throat> the last after the last episode. I will admit I had to watch it three times before I actually started to really enjoy it. Hmm. Uh, the first time I watched it, it was entirely too late. Yes. I, yeah. I, I got that from your single word tweet. Yeah. I was like, meh. So I watched it again the next day and I was like, eh, okay. I don't know what, I mean, I loved the emotional content. That mm-hmm. stuck it for me. Just something about the, the writing like left me flat and I'd like it. Don't I like, I liked it, but I don't know. There were, there were things that bothered me. Um, 
And it wasn't that like any of our weird, like, what if it's this didn't come true? Like, I don't, that's fine. Whatever. Sure. Which has been one of the things that has upset most people who viewed this is like my fan theory that I spent six weeks on didn't come through. It's like, right. Well, they're not supposed okay. to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed kind of the, the, how it's final take on the issue of grief and tragedy and how you don't necessarily always move past it, but you are able to move on. I think uh, it is very important that they depicted Wanda going through all five stages of grief and ending at acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the line when vision says that like, since you've said goodbye to me before, it stands to reason we will say hello again. Mm-hmm. Like really, um, you know, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany just gave like stunning performances and character studies with their, with their work. They were fantastic. Um, some of my bummers, I mean, I kind of wish a, a big part of the climactic elements didn't end in like kind of a CGI fight between Scarlet Witch and Agnes. I'm like, okay. Like, but, at I the guess. Same, but that's also what that's part and parcel for what the Marvel universe is. No, I know. And I shouldn't realize that, that they weren't going to, they were not going to do that. Cause it's still in the Marvel universe. There's going to be mm-hmm. a showdown. Um, while I know we're getting more Agnes in the future, there's, that's clearly we are. Um, why would you not? Like, yeah. I Catherine was... Han was fantastic as Agnes slash Agatha. She just chewed up every scene she was in. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I'm trying to find a say this. It's not like I'm complaining about it. I was hoping for a little bit more why she was doing it. Um, why who was doing what? Why Agnes was doing what she was doing. I think the simple answer is she she seeks power. And she it, does. Yeah, sorry. But not... She's had... I'm sorry, when were the Salem Witch Trials? 1661. So she's had 400 years to process how best to, you know, she's, she's a plotter. She knows there's power out there. She's willing to wait for it. She's willing to amass it so that she can do the things that she wants. I don't think it was, I, I keep coming back to that wasn't the point of the story. That was the motivation right. behind Agnes slash Agatha. But the point of the story was to show a woman deal with grief. At the core, that is what Wanda was vision was about, was about Wanda Maximoff processing her grief. Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I get all that. I just, yeah. I felt like they hinted a few times um, uh, at, Ag- at Agnes's reasoning behind it, and then they would kind of ignore it. Um, that whole line when basically when Wanda is fully realized and, and, and uh, Agatha, Agnes has that line of like, you have no idea what you've unleashed. 
I felt like there was a stronger thread to her, like, yeah, she's she's a bad guy, whatever. But then also part of her is like, if someone doesn't get that chaos magic under control, no one's going to survive what's coming. And she's not going to be the one to do it. I can. Um, I want a little bit more from that, but that's just my own personal story nitpicking. Um, I was initially annoyed that Monica and Jimmy and Darcy just kind of fucking vanished. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out one of the reasons why, and now I'm way more forgiving about it. So they filmed basically episode one through seven before COVID lockdowns. Eight and nine, that's why actors are no, that's why there's a lot of like solo shots. They had to like completely readjust how to film. Um, oh, that's fascinating. They had partly had storyboard and shot an entire scene in the basement with Monica, Darcy, and Jimmy getting the dark hold. And that uh, senior scratches was her familiar and was a fucking demon. And they're like, we shot it, but then everything went to shit, couldn't do any posts, couldn't do anything. So that's why you see them go to the basement and then nothing until the very end. Mm-hmm. It, that's it. Like they're, they're like, they were a victim of a pandemic that just threw that all out the window. Interesting. Yeah. So now I'm like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to call out shitty writing then. That's just bad fucking timing of mm-hmm. the world encroaching on your story. <laughs> you know, so Hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that made me kind of chill out a little bit more. In that case, I, I think they managed to do, they managed to put together a strong finish. Oh yeah. With one hand tied behind their back. That's yeah, that's, no, exactly. That's not, nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Um, uh, not super related to the story itself. But um, as as Keelan told me, he he loves how Black Twitter will take on something. And Black mm-hmm. Twitter decided that since the vision is vibranium, he is African. Mm-hmm. And they took that whole thing where he's telling the ship of Theseus to white vision. They're doing the whole thing like, my brother, they have taken the color from you. Let me pass my memories on to you. <laughs> so people are like Photoshopping vision and like a dashiki and like... It, Go 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 to Black Twitter and look up all the vision stuff. It's fucking gold. Right. It's once magical. I will have to look that up. <laughs> yeah, because all Asian Twitter talks about is Jimmy Woo. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know the stuff with, with vision is pretty damn great. I, like I don't did I mention that last week? Hmm. Uh, about the fact that uh that whole comment of from director asshole when he was talking to Wanda and saying, you can't take It's like, I'm not going to let you walk out of here with $2 billion worth of vibranium. It's, it's not yours. It's like, it's not yours either. All vibranium yeah. belongs to Wakanda. So yeah. like black Twitter has a point. Yeah. Except for the shield. That's what we talked about. Yep. Like vision is, <laughs> Vision is the, if anything, he's the property of Wakanda when he is not sentient. Right. Outside of that, meh, they're fine. It's like, no, no. If you're sentient, then you're on your own. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I did really enjoy it. Um, I feel like so many other places have talked a whole lot about it. I'm worried that when I talk more, I'm just aping them, but 
Um, I mean, that's bound to happen because we all watched it and yeah. we all have different schools of thoughts about how it's, how, you know, about how it ended because we're all working from the same information. Um, I, I'm excited to see more of Monica Rambo in Captain Marvel 2. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's fantastic. Uh, I, I'm impressed that Wanda went from I'm not I'm not using magic to astral projection. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty big jump. Like that was that was I think Strange spent what six months before he was there in in before he made the leap to astral projection. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Outside of like getting forcibly ejected out of his body by the, the right. ancient one in the first place. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I am glad that they have found a reasonable way to bring back the Vision into the Marvel universe because I wasn't done with Paul Bettany as the Vision. I wasn't done with that character. No, and they seem to be pulling a lot from you know, the West Coast Avengers stuff, because White Vision has a whole other, mm-hmm. it's a whole other arc, and it completely alters their relationship. Um, I remember there's one of the, I looked up some of the panels, and there's that panel when, like, the boys are brought back, and it's White Vision. And she looks at him and says, I can't be the one to tell them. I'm not. You have to tell them. I'm not telling them they're not, that that's not the dad they remember at, at all. I'm not doing it. And she's basically like, I've been through enough. I'm not having that conversation. You are. Congratulations. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I did think it was, you know, and yeah, it's a it's a more, well, not too mature. They kept it within the realm of PG-13 at least, especially towards the end. But I will give them credit uh, for having the the guts to actually wipe the kids out. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they'd do it. I thought they'd be like, "There's gonna, we're gonna find a loophole that the kids are not also just wiped when she shuts everything down." I mean, they're clearly not gone because we saw in that one that final post credit scene. But mm-hmm. I, I think it was important in order for us as the viewer, like because the, the way oh oh, it's a bean, it's a bean. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will talk to everybody next week. Bye, everyone. She's going to kill you. <laughs> not that, being that mic's not plugged in. Nope, not plugged in. Nope. Can't, can't hear a thing. No good. Can't hear you. Nope, not having nope. it now. Nope. Nope. Still nothing. How about now? Yay! There you are. There we go. Helps if you pick the right one. Yes. So we're talking about WandaVision now. Where where are we at? Where did you... Where Uh, have I walked in? About having the guts to actually wipe out the kids. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And and I was about to say, and then we're going to open the floor and you can just tell us your thoughts. But yeah, we've kind of yeah. I I think it was important to, uh, as the story that 
they had to show the viewers that there were consequences that Wanda had to her actions. And that is she had to lose her husband and her two kids because clearly to the rest of the town, she just left Westview without any consequences. And, and Sorry, no I ruined she, all of your lives. Bye. Yeah. And, and yeah. She, she accepted the fact that it's like, yeah, I know I did. It's like, I did not do right by this town. They're all free now. And I should, and I should have more consequences to face. It's not going to be right now. And it's not going to be by any of you. So bye. Right. Yes. Um, well, so the, the killing off of the kids and vision for that matter is a little bit of a two big situation. They're not technically real. So are you actually killing off any care? Are you killing off a character? Debatable. Yes. Yes. Um, because chaos I, magic actually creates life. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I didn't know that. Um, and then I, I did. I did think it was interesting that Monica, you know, at the at that very end there, at the center of town, Monica tells Wanda that they'll never know what you sacrificed for them. I'm like, that is one way of looking at it, but that's a very Wanda Wanda centric perspective. The other way of looking at that is you put these people through hell for let's say give or take two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, not intentionally, but you did. And you also did nothing by way of verbal or actionable reparations for that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that spoke very much to the fact that if um, if she were in her position, Monica Rambeau would have done the exact same thing that Wanda did. I, that's That was my read on that is like, the same that's where Monica kept coming from was a place of if we're going to fix this, we need Wanda. If Wanda's to blame, then she's the only one that can fix this. Right. And she she recognized in her, it's like she lost someone and was blipped and we've been back for two weeks. There's been no grieving. Right. Mm -hmm. So definitely it's, it's a very pragmatic and um, like, honest about your emotions way of looking at this whole thing is to, you know, to point out, you know what, what you did was shitty. And anyone can look at one and say that was shitty, mm-hmm. but, um, but I think it takes uh, a bit more honesty to also say, but I would have done the same thing, even though I know how much it hurt, how many people, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's grief. That's, that's loss. And it's, it's, it's deep. And people would do anything to avoid it or undo it if they could. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Yeah. I also, um, I don't know if this is just me and like some sort of like weird feminist, you know, you know, nouveau perspective, but I really thought that, you know, tying up the show with, Wanda having to sort of say goodbye to her whole family and this perfect life that she had, you know, even if it was unintentionally, she made that for herself. She created this, this haven of an idyllic life. And, and now she's just going to just kiss it all goodbye. Um, And that spoke to me from a, from a woman's perspective of, you know, people who for whatever reason, never, never have a partner 
for life or never have children, even though they wanted them. And I think for Wanda, where she is right now, she's probably in a place where like, if there's no vision, there's no future with a family for her. Right. You know, when you're, when you're that torn up about losing somebody, you can't imagine having another life that doesn't involve them. Mm -hmm. And so when she's in that space and now she's giving up her, her vision and her children, it's, um, I don't know. It just really, it, it to me, it felt like this underlying theme about you know the things that women sacrifice in their lives. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone else picked up on that though. No, I think that's a very good read. Uh, yeah, I, no, I, I, yeah. I think the the more that any of the uh, conversation gets away from the fact that it's centered on a woman dealing with grief, then we lose sight of what the show was actually about. It's great that it has all the other Marvel stuff in it. It is fun to talk about, but it is ultimately about Wanda and her grief. Mm -hmm. And being that it, it, more and more people, especially more and more women who were watching the show and being, Oh, I didn't think this was a relatable character before. Clearly, I was wrong. Uh, especially, I think when it got to the um, the modern family uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, that might have made her, put her in a more relatable place because I think the the success of that show is centered on the fact that it's modern and relatable mm-hmm. for a current audience. Um. I noticed uh, the so I'm I'm in terms of catching up with or rewatching all of the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one I watched was Age of Ultron, which you know ties uh, ties in perfectly with with WandaVision uh, in terms of recalling certain things. And one thing I noticed is that um, she was pretty powerful already. I know that there were some memes talking about like. You know, Wanda's power in this movie and then this movie and then WandaVision where it's exponentially so much more. But in Age of Ultron, she is powerful enough to start driving people out of their homes and out of their city uh, trying to protect them. That's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other thing that I noticed from that movie is that when she feels Pietro die, um, she it's it's very, very reminiscent of the scene where she breaks down crying uh, at the site of the house that she and Vision were supposed to share. Mm-hmm. At which at that point, she just like bursts with magic and she takes down like a dozen bad guys in one, yeah. in one hit. So yeah. I thought that that was kind of a cool I... recall of, of sort of laying down the early groundwork for what gives Wanda her power which yeah, unfortunately I, is pain and suffering. Right. I actually kind of think that wasn't unintentional. The more I look back and the more I look at interviews from the past, like especially during like Age of Ultron, I feel like Kevin Feige is really playing a long game when it comes to certain characters. Uh-huh. There's an interview that you can, and they've screen it now where she's being interviewed during Age of Ultron. And she talks about, you know, my, my favorite Wanda story is when 
she goes uh, nuts in House of M and completely rewrites the universe. But then she smiles and says, but they're never going to let me do, they're never going to do that. And I'm <laughs> like, you may not have known that, but something tells me the back of Fahey's mind is like, yeah, that's going to happen one day. So mm-hmm. let's, because then you see her power in Infinity War and Endgame. I mean, that's why Thanos like basically tells his entire ship to shoot at him. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't stop her, she's he's like I, I can't beat her. She will rip me to shred. So fire, but you're mad. Fucking fire. Um, yeah. Um, I also can't wait until the inevitable. I that final scene when she's in her full kind of Scarlet Witch outfit. Mm-hmm. I could actually hear cosplayers running to their craft rooms and ordering fabric and preparing for that costume. Because that costume is righteous looking. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I follow a bunch of cosplayers on Twitter. I have a channel just for cosplayers and one of them already has. She Like three days after the end, the season finale, she had built a right fairly screen accurate version of that costume. I'm like, Jesus. Those people, man. It's mm-hmm. impressive. Um, whereas I kind of want to dress like Agnes. <laughs> kind of like that outfit. <laughs> yeah, and that is, it is really tough to decide which of those aesthetics uh, is more appealing. Uh, flowy cloth and black, so that's, that's going to be me. That's, Plus yeah. that wicked makeup. Scarlet Witch doesn't really do a lot of makeup. I, I'm mostly trying to figure out which which era human vision do I want to dress more like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, did you guys talk about Vishon? Oh, I brought it up with Black Twitter and Vishon. Yeah, I yes. told oh Is that god. what they call him? That's yes. Yeah, Vi- yes. yeah, Vishon. Brother Vishon. You put any guy in a you put any any attractive man in a in a black turtleneck and I guess Black Twitter is going to do what Black Twitter is going to do. Yeah. Well, and plus, you know, since he's made of vibranium, he is African. That was the other decision they had made. He's Wakandan. He's That's Wakandan. true. He's Wakandan. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, it was pretty his, great. You know, at his core processing unit, he's Wakandan. Uh, I also like the thing on Twitter when people were like. Your first memory of Paul Bettany and his vision, it's like my first memory, and it's him in a knight's tale, mm-hmm. just naked going like, what? <laughs> Which is funny because, you know, I think people who are excited about the MCU are, you know, in that sort of same age bracket, so they all saw a knight's tale when they were young. Uh, I'm like, I don't no, know. I don't think so. I've I seen can, it. I have. Plus, plus, not a lot of people actually saw a knight's tale. Really? It's only well, gotten popular again people. in the last, what, five years? It's only been in the last 10 that I've seen it. Yeah, the people were... Because I remember I was like... I remember seeing the trailer and being like, what is this bullshit? I tried to watch it on video when it first came out on video, and I made it about 10 minutes in and went, I don't think this movie is for me, and stopped watching it. And it wasn't until uh, America and I had started dating. She's like, what do you mean you've never watched The Night's Tale? No, I'm fixing that right now. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was... uh it was years later and I'm hanging out with like Becca one day and I was like, did you ever watch a Knight's Tale? I said, cause it's a tree. She's like, Oh my God, bro. It's amazing. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? 
so yeah, like we found it and like got the DVD of it. And like 20 minutes in, I was like, I was so wrong. I was so mm-hmm. wrong on every single <laughs> level. Yep. This show, uh, this movie is amazing. It's the same reaction I had. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. I'm not going to say it was um, one of the first movies, but I think it was a pretty good <laughs> early example of period films, period films that, um, that were anachronistic with their music, which has always been like a really fun thing for me. Yeah. Uh, I like what Sack says. I could expect Agatha Harkness to feature prominently in Portland's burlesque scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to Oh, I'd, I'd watch that. Yeah. Oh, I would throw dollars at that. <laughs> oh well, I mean, God. not not throw them. There's not a lot of throwing money in burlesque in my experience, but... No, not, not really. Maybe. Um, no? Is that, yeah. all, all the burlesque shows I've ever been to, there's a classy little basket that goes around. So it's like a cross between okay. strip yeah, club and fair. church. Just how I like it. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, man. I want to buy a church now to open a strip club in it. <laughs> no, burlesque, burlesque show. Yeah, him. And comic book shop. Um, if oh, you have to get one with an annex, then oh, in that you, way. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that officially made it very Portland. Good job. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> and a brewery attached. Mm-hmm. Three Bs. Well, it's already a bar. So boobs, books, and beer. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, we have a title. <laughs> um. America had pointed out to me that uh, apparently um, the week after it, the episode aired where they re- did the reveal on Agatha is it ended up on the Billboard uh, Top 100 charts, much mm-hmm. to Catherine Hahn's surprise. Yeah. She's like, what do you mean? It- the song? Yeah, she ended up on... And, and the Billboard 100, she's like, I don't understand what you're talking about. We, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not a singer. And it's like, no, but you sang this. Yeah, you know what? And, Neither is Mick Jagger. And I mean, some other artist incorporated it into a, a mix. And that, like, it got people's attention. Yeah. That song is great. I love that song. Even without the remixes. I just love that. That Adam's family monster, mainly the monster, the monster mm-hmm. vibe. Yeah. yeah, actually, the day that uh, the day that episode aired, and after I watched it, I actually pulled up the theme song, and it's. I mean, I didn't play them on top of each other, but I played them back to back, and I was like, God damn! Someone might come after you for this. Probably not. Like, given how much they were paying attention to these details. It was, hey, we would like to do this. This is what we're thinking about doing. And they went, go for it. Um, yeah, it's fine. Did you, I saw this on Twitter as well. There was an excerpt from an interview of the showrunner for um, for WandaVision. And they were talking about the, specifically about the, the line that's been turned into a meme at this point. Um, what is grief but love persevering Mm -hmm. and she gave all credit to that she's like no that was the writers that was this that was that that like she named other writers that had to like she's like we workshopped it and it also came from paul bettany who went this feels like a scene where the vision 
would say one of those very vision things that he says, which is succinct and deeply meaningful. And that's what they came up with. And he's like, yep, that that's it. That's the line right there. Right. And then he delivered it the way he did. Um, but like the showrunners like, no, that was, that was so many people that helped make that. And that was how we did every episode. Wow. That's how we did every scene. And so it's a powerful line. Yeah. I, I enjoy the way vision can be like casually philosophical, but you know, but still like brings like just the right amount or a sufficient amount of gravitas to those conversations. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I like, like he's just, he's kind of always questioning, especially just himself, mm-hmm. you know, when it really comes through. Did um, you guys already talk about the vision versus vision? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, but not much. Not much. Uh, all my writer nerd friends are online. We're just so excited that that got people talking about the ship of Theseus. Because <laughs> that's wanky writer shit that we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't actively know that that, that theory is called uh, the ship of Theseus. I've only heard of it. I've only heard it in general terms in terms of, like, is it still the same ship? Also, the the axe. You replace the mm-hmm. head, you replace the handle. Is it still the same axe? Um, it gets brought up with Star Trek nerds a lot, too, because, you know, Enterprise refit. How much of it is it really still the Enterprise? It's almost a brand new ship. Yeah, so that gets brought up a lot with... Certain, that makes sense. Yeah, certain circles. But it was the perfect way to... Like, just, like, turn the fight around and make it about something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, of any character in the Mar- Marvel universe, that is one that would not have a knuckle, uh, a drag out fight between the two of them. It would be a, hey, we're both androids. How about we talk about this? Well, even when you see Vision in like Civil War, like he doesn't really fight. Mm-mm. He'll, you know, you go. Th- yeah, yeah, he'll do his most. You have to push Vision pretty hard to make him use the mind gem or mm-hmm. throw a punch kind of thing. Um, well, the other thing, too, is it really wouldn't have mattered, it, or it, it didn't matter in this situation, because they're, in physical in a physical sense, they were very, very evenly matched. And mm-hmm. so you see them fighting back and forth, but no one is ever really gaining the upper hand. And it was never, that was never going to get them anywhere. Mm-hmm. No, uh-uh. it was always going to come down to a philosophical battle. And neither of them were going to tire because right. they're androids. <laughs> yeah. I not even thought about that. Yeah, no, it was pretty great. Um, uh, what do you guys think? I, liked, I mean, I know that you and I talked a few days ago and I was kind of like, I don't think I really liked it. I've now watched it three times mm-hmm. and I, I definitely enjoy it now. I still have a few issues with it. But I think it just took me longer to unpack it. I wasn't able to just immediately mm-hmm. like, oh my God, it took me a few viewings to really unpack my thoughts on it. So That's fair. What I would say is that like from, a, from an objective, like non-invested point of view, it very much ties up, it wraps up like any other Marvel Cinematic Universe product, which is why I'd sort of written these movies off a couple years ago. I'm like, it's, they're sort of always the same formula. You know how it's going to start. 
the middle, the end, and they're always going to finish it off by giving you a few minutes of setting up the next thing. Mm-hmm. And and it definitely did that. It was a very neatly wrapped up package, just like any other Marvel movie. Um, but once you once you kind of ignore that or let go of it and just think about Wanda's story, Vision's story, and to you know a good a fair extent, uh, Agatha's story, Monica, even Jimmy and Darcy, um, it's. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. It's, mm-hmm. it's, got, it's got a really important message that I don't think um, any comic book film has ever touched on. And I, I, to, to your point, I think that that also says that regardless or, or even within the formulaic superhero movie, you can still find new ways to tell that story. You can yeah. still find new as long as you focus on the fact that it's not just about superheroes, it's about whatever it is that you want to talk about. And in this case, it was grief. Right. And processing grief. And I think there's been one other Marvel movie that's bucked that trend. In fact, the, there was an interview with the director, same director on all nine episodes. It had one director. Mm-hmm. He treated it like one giant movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he mentioned that um, it's nice to kind of buck the trend and, Someone had mentioned, oh, the one the other Marvel movie that did that and no one ever seems to like is Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's one of my favorite Marvel movies ever. Iron Man 3 definitely bucks that trend. Yeah, it's interesting because we, obviously, we, we watched that recently. I'd never seen it. Christian was like, nah, I was never really that into it. It's his favorite Iron Man now. It's my favorite one. Yeah, it's Might so as well. Fun. It's yeah. Shane Black too, so it and has Shane Black, so it's got that, yeah. But that's that's Tony with PTSD that they finally acknowledge it, and you know Pepper saves the day. It's not Tony, you know. Yeah, I it, would argue, even that... if it is the same plot as The Incredibles. <laughs> um, I have a little bit of a I had a little bit of a hard time with how they portrayed and how he is his PTSD developed and manifested. I didn't mm-hmm. find it particularly realistic. But you can't deny the fact that that was the story and they told it as, mm-hmm. as yeah. best as they could. Um, whether I relate to it or not, you know, other other people with PTSD might could uh, find it very relatable. And, and it's there. It's, it's representation that is yeah. not typically done and very rarely done well. Yeah. I, I think it also shares the same thing with WandaVision that fans get mired down in the details and are offended when it's like, Oh, this thing that I thought it was going to be is not really what it was going to be. And now I'm mad at this movie. It's like, well, then you're not paying attention to the movie. It's Mm -hmm. like you spent way too much time expecting Ben Kingsley to be a character that he really wasn't. (laughs) And you're pissed that you didn't see that coming. God, he's like, I didn't see it's like, I didn't see it coming, and I thought that was great. It's like, oh, that is a fantastic reveal. That's it's so good. Yeah. It's that scene when he's just drunk on beer, um, and he's like, uh, I'm, the, I'm the Mandarin. It's, oh, my God. Ben Kingsley fucking killed in that movie. Mm-hmm. That was hilarious. That might have been, like, the best part of that movie is just that, that whole psych out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love that Shang-Chi benefits from that. Right. Because now they get to use the real Mandarin to replace a completely racist 
Chinese stereotype with a Marvel villain and have him be the father of Shang-Chi. Right, yeah. It's going to be great. I ain't got my Fing Fang Foom yet. Maybe someday. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, the... Uh, I, uh, oh, balls. Oh, did I lose it? Oh, balls. That article that I mentioned last week, I think that's what they were trying to say is like people, you know, Marvel, DC fans, longtime fans get so caught up in the Easter eggs and the tie-ins and what does it mean? Like, does the fact that this actor came in mean that there's going to be a multiverse now? And, um, and, and if you focus on those things too much, you, you miss the, the real message that, that the, the real story that we're trying to tell here. Right. There's a part of that, that sometimes I like that that works against me as a fan your expectations? Because, yes, because then I get surprised in ways I'm not expecting, and then I enjoy it even more. Um, one of the more recent ones, uh, Captain Marvel did that. I have known the Scrolls as supervillains or v- a villain race mm-hmm. for decades, and to have them come be brought to us as, oh no, they're they're a in. An endangered, they're refugees. Yeah, they're refugees yeah. and an endangered species due to a, a fascist government that absorbs whatever um, planet they take over. It's like it's just that's going to end up being the Cree, right? Yeah, I'm like I I was not expecting that at all, and that's great. It's like I get a completely different view on the scrolls and what they are now. It means anytime if they want to do secret invasion. I can't say that the scrolls are going to be the villains. Which they are. They are doing it. They are. But As a like, series, yeah. How? <laughs> it, I don't know. And, that, and that's fantastic. That's where um, my expectations from what I have read in the comics works against me in a way that I enjoy. Yeah. It's like, great. I was expecting this one thing because it's been that way for 40 years and you did something different. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and I think that's, you have to start taking that. Like I've was, gotten fooled by lots of comic book movies because of my expectations. I'm like, neat. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. <clears throat> I also found out that the audience was real. They actually had people show up as an audience that wasn't CGI. It wasn't just cast members and crew. They made sure that the, the sitcom ones had an mm-hmm. actual audience. Oh, the live studio audience mm-hmm. from the early episodes. Yeah, and the audience, so the set for the audience was designed after the same audience set as the Dick Van Dyke show. Um, So the director, and I heard this, and I screamed in a jealous rage, as they were getting into pre-production, the director, Kevin Feige had a director, had a meeting with him. So (laughs) they got Kevin Feige, the director, the two kind of main show writers, the producer and the writer and Dick Van Dyke. And they had dinner at club 33 to discuss how they would make this look appropriate for being early fifties TV sitcoms, which sounds like the most amazing dinner that that would ever have happened. But they were all blown away when they found out from Dick Van Dyke that apparently when you watch that show, that show was always shot in one take. They shot it like it was a play. What? 
Only they say, yeah, Dick Van Dyke, he said only once in a while, if they like really flubbed a line, would they go back and shoot the line when no one was around. But every episode of the Dick Van Dyke show is shot live in one take. Holy fuck. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, oh, I mean, like, I mean, they would shift cameras, you know, but still. One, they shot every every episode. Of Dick Van Dyke was basically a thirty minute play. I have no idea what to do with that information. How much time did they get to rehearse each episode? Probably a week. How long did they have the scripts for? A week. Uh, like, I this mean, going to break my brain. When I did that radio drama, this is nowhere near the level of like the Dick Van Dyke show, and the actors didn't have to really memorize their lines. But we did that fucking weekly. Yes, we did. Third, third, yeah, I would get the. I would write the scripts Sunday to Tuesday. They went out to the cast and crew on Wednesday. We would maybe do a rehearsal on Thursday, and the show if, was live on Saturdays. I do remember that. It, it, yeah, if we were all available, I thought we did those Sunday nights. Was okay then Sunday nights. Okay, yeah, yeah that's true. I we think, did. Yeah, yeah, because that I think that was the whole point. Was it was a Sunday night. Oh, that's right. You would gather around the radio and listen to this live. I was still, I'm still so proud of that, but that still almost fucking broke me. I I know (laughs) it did, but that was, that was one of the greatest things that you have done. Oh, thank you. Hopefully Uh, something. And I am, I'm still very, very proud to have been a part of it and honored that you even asked. Thanks. You played an asshole. I played lots. I played lots of characters. In I AC, you were an asshole. The last character. I played, oh my yes, god! And that I was good emails being like, "I hope Cable's character dies." He <laughs> was which the one that was, yeah. Which made me think, I'm never killing him off. <laughs> yes, that, that's what you told me. It's like, yeah. no, I'm not killing this character. <laughs> anyway, sorry, a little distraction. He had a horrible voice too. I may, I, I actually reached to come up with a completely awful voice for him too. Uh yeah. Can you recall it? It was very nasally. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And and it was it was definitely just I was trying to be as grating as I could sound as well as so that having to listen to me was just as bad as anything that I was saying that was just <laughs> vile and mean and took no consideration for anyone except for myself. It it was it was the equivalent of having to listen to Colin from uh, the, right. what we do in the shadows. Colin Robinson. <laughs> oh, I'm I, having a hard time recalling the um like the the plot or like the environment of your of that specific character, but I'm remembering the feeling I had of listening to that character. Right? That that was becomes, to this again. He becomes the de facto leader of the survivors. Mm-hmm. Um I was just glad that I didn't keep that creepy reverend character that I wrote alive because he was he was painful to do the voice for. Yeah, he yeah. had a hard time doing his voice. Or yeah, he's, that. Yeah. he's not easy to do because he's based on the voice of the pastor from Poltergeist 2, but I made a decision to only speak during the inhale of breath, not exhale. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. creates a creepy-ass voice, but it's very hard to do. I think my other favorite guy was... Uh, the red shirt, man. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's not cool, man. That's not cool, man. I'm I'm wearing a red shirt. I'm still wearing a red shirt. 
right. I got to stop. Otherwise, I'll just go down that weird memory lane. Maybe one day I'll just do a little retrospective. I don't know. Reunion tour. Yeah. <laughs> there are two unproduced scripts floating around in my hard drive somewhere. Oh. This would have been the best year for it. I know. Yeah. Now that people we, like radio dramas again, I was only I mean, ten. I was only ten years too early. You were. <laughs> that still kills me when I see all of this shit. It's like son of a. The popularity of thrilling adventure hour. Yeah. Ah, don't even get me started. <laughs> yep, you were a little early. Oh my god. On that note, <laughs> yeah, should probably get closer. Wrapping it up here. Um. Again, we teased this a little earlier. Next week, we were talking to Connor. I forget Connor's last name. Uh, uh, oh, God. We Connor so Alexander. Long. Connor Alexander, uh, creator and leader of uh, the Coyote and Crow Project, which is a uh, almost all Native American produced and created... Um, RPG that's currently on Kickstarter, funded in eight hours. Yeah, their forty-five initial, minutes. Forty-five minutes. Their initial goal was eighteen thousand yeah. dollars. They are currently up to four hundred thirty-two thousand one hundred sixty-four. They're going to be at half a million dollars next week when we talk to them. Oh, no, no question. That's insane. Yeah. Why are they even talking to us? <laughs> uh, because we were actually one of the first shows to reach out to them. Uh, full disclosure, because uh, Sarah Spoonwaffle tipped me off to them. Mm-hmm. She sent me this little message like, hey, so my friend is doing this really cool looking Kickstarter role playing game. He's not sure how well it's going to do. Here's their website. Maybe reach out to them and see if they want to be on your show. I was like, yeah, that wow. sounds cool. And it's fair that you wouldn't know how it's like, it's like, I don't know what kind of traction this is going to get. Um, right. But man, it is. It's going to be this year's um, Kickstarter success story. The people are going to go, man, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, Guardian Games uh, has backed it. I'm guessing at that high retail level. They backed it at the retailer level. And we, we have not, we've begun the practice of, we don't, we used to back every Kickstarter no matter what. Sure. And now it's like, no, we don't, we don't back, back Kickstarter. If there's going to be a retail release, there's, there's not a point. It's like, let people who want, want that back that on Kickstarter, but we make a few exceptions and this was definitely one of them. Yeah. I wound up changing mine to the warrior level so that one, another book got donated. Which is a great thing that they're doing too. So yeah, I can't wait to talk to them next week. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm super jazzed. See how long we can... If he's willing to stay on for the bulk of the show, I'm pretty good with that. You should all listen next week. Yes! I mean, you should listen. Yeah, yeah, I think that's good. Sorry, Beanie, you didn't get to hang out more. not me. I totally... I I, I agreed to do something completely forgetting that it's Tuesday night. It was dumb. But you know what's not dumb is making money, so... Yeah. Well, we told people what you're doing. I didn't think it was a big secret. No, no, I, I'm picking up more time doing dr- delivery driving for Nats. So, you know, if you want to, like, see my face for 30 seconds from behind a mask while I drop off booze at your door, you know, now's the time to start ordering. Uh-huh. Who, wouldn't want, who wouldn't want that? Right? I'm, I'm delightful. Um, 
Yeah, and so everyone's like, happy to see the booze delivery. The booze delivery person. Um, so I went down there for training, and they're like, "We we thought it might be cool if you learn how to do the the you know the back end part, and then do the deliveries that you prepared." And I was like, "Yeah, I can do that. They're cool. I'm not doing anything else today." Yep, yeah, just completely forgot that it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, right? Which is it's dumb. It's Tuesday, Lemon. I because I prepared show notes this morning, so. <laughs> Welcome to a, like the inside of my brain, folks. Yep. Well, it's always good to have you here. You know that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, is that a is that work cider? It sure is. Spoils of war, as it were. <laughs> I always have some in the house, so. I know I do too. Well, on that note, I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Benarita. <laughs> and I'm Cable Hashitami. <laughs> we'll see everybody next week, assuming I don't choke to death right now. Bye, everyone. Man needs to learn to breathe. Mm, Overrated.